Bible reading comes from Malachi, chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who, who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. The reading is taken from the book of Matthew. It's on page 8, 36. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you were willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. 
The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. War on unrepentant towns. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. War to you, Chorazin. War to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Caponium, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. This is the word of the Lord. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this, this morning. And as we sit here in this room, we pray that we might hear your voice, see your son, uh, and that you might cause us to live our lives well in light of who Jesus is and and what he has come to do. And we pray this, Father, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. We all have different expectations of how God is going to work And there's some people who have an expectation that God's going to work through political movements, whether it's on the right of politics or the left of politics. Some people think that God's going to work through cultural movements and that as people produce artefacts that God is going to be shown through that. Some people think that God's going to be shown through activist movements and people's hearts and minds being changed and moved to a certain goal, a certain end. We all have expectations of how God is going to work. And John the Baptist in this section of the Gospel of Matthew has an expectation about what the day of the Messiah is going to look like. And you can see that expectation in his question that he asks Jesus through his disciples that he sends to Jesus in chapter 11, verse 2. Have a look at it with me. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, that's Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Nick has uh, helpfully uh, summarised John's expectations as looking for... fairy floss and candy. Uh, He was probably expecting things like freedom for the Jews. He was looking for the day of liberation for God's people, uh, for the day of judgment on God's enemies in the land of Israel, particularly uh, the Roman enemies. He was looking for the Messiah to come and be enthroned as a military monarch. And John hears about Jesus while he's in prison and he hears about the things Jesus is doing and he wonders, is this the person? Is this the moment? Is is this what's happening? And he actually doubts whether it is the moment because he's still in prison 
Things are still going badly for Israel. They're still under Roman occupation. And Jesus hasn't been enthroned as a king. So what's going on? I want to ask, uh, are there ways that you expect God to work? Are there things that you have in your heart and mind that, that you're expecting God to do? Well, we need to check these against what God actually promises in his word. And we need to see how God fulfills his promises in his word. That is the most important thing when it comes to getting our expectations right. And there are three things Jesus calls us to recognise in this passage, I think, today. The Messiah's deeds, the messenger who comes, and the repentance that needs to be real and deep. So that's what we're going to look at together this morning. First of all, we need to recognise the Messiah's deeds Often you can see someone uh, and know someone's been there through their actions. You come home and the yogurt has the lid off and there's mess on the thing. You know that someone's been there and you probably know who it is. You go to an event and everyone's in good spirits and, and happy and you know that, oh, that person's there. Well, back in Isaiah 35, there was a promise of the day of the Messiah, and, and what would it be like? Isaiah 35, verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. The coming of the Messiah was going to bring a day of God's visitation to the world, and a reversal of what happened in the garden when humanity fell under the curse of God for sin. When humanity was banished from the presence of God, it was going to be a reversing of all of that. And John's disciples come to Jesus and they just say, has that come? Is that day here now? Or are we supposed to wait for someone else? Have a look at what Jesus says, Matthew 11 verse 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of these. His deeds and his works speak for themselves. They show that the promised day has come. And Jesus is saying, you need to recognise it. And he's not saying, I'm the one. He's just saying, look at the deeds. It speaks for itself. He's showing, he's not telling. I wonder if today we do actually forget that normal Christianity is God breaking into the world through miraculous, supernatural events 2,000 years ago at the coming of Christ and that that is how God showed himself to us. Often we are very modern in our thinking and we let modern world and all of its expectations shape the way that we think. And we have a very set and narrow bunch of expectations about how God is going to work I was listening to a podcast recently about 
how a big portion of one Australian denomination a few decades ago kind of decided that they were going to update the Bible, update Christianity, and essentially edit the Bible, edit who Jesus is, and so say these parts of his life are authentic, these parts are not authentic, and the bits that weren't authentic, they decided, were his miracles and the supernatural elements, and the other bits able to discern were allegedly the historical bits. But what has happened in in the decades that have uh, happened since then is that huge parts of that church have come to see Jesus as nice, as helpful, as inspiring, as wise. And many of them are nice people, lovely people, but they no longer see Jesus' claims as exclusive. They no longer see him as the Messiah. They see him on par with all the other thought systems in the world. And there's nothing special about Jesus. It's all just shades of grey. It's very nice. But there's no supernatural, no miracles, no deeds of the Messiah. So we need to get our expectations right and recognise the works of the Messiah, just as John needed to. Secondly, we need to recognise the place of John and of us in God's plan. Jesus turns to address now the crowd after John's disciples go away. And on the one hand, he says to them uh, that they need to recognise the significance of John in God's plans. And on the other hand, he says they need to recognise their significance in God's plans. So firstly, the significance of John. Uh, Today, we're not used to prophets. We're not used to thinking about someone who speaks the word of God, but in ancient Israel, that was what they expected. That was an expectation. That that was what they were looking for. They they weren't going to TED Talks or or university to try to find knowledge. They wanted the word from God. And they went out into the wilderness because they heard about this guy, John, and Jesus kind of plays with them. He says, what were you going out to look for? Verse 7, he says, did you go out to see the scenery? to to see the the reeds swaying. Verse 8, he says, did you go out to see a fashion show? Did you go to see someone who looked good, a man in fine clothes? Verse 9, he pinpoints the real reason why they went out to the wilderness. Did you go to see a prophet? Verse 9, yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. And then he quotes from Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, which says, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Recently, I was in a unit block that overlooks Kirribilli House, um, and doing some, some, having a meeting there. And as I was there, uh, the Prime Minister arrived home to his house with his entourage. And you could see him there with his driver and, and all these other people. And imagine that you go up to the driver and say, oh, I can see that you're a driver. Uh, Could I please have a lift down the street? He's going to say no. But the reason is, yes, he's a driver, but he's more than a driver. He's a driver for the prime minister, not for you. And it's the same with John. Yes, he's a prophet, 
but he's more than a prophet. He is the one whom God sent ahead of his Messiah, the last prophet, who would show the way of the Messiah and who would point the way of the one whom God had sent. He's so much more than a prophet. And notice what else Jesus says about John, verse 14. If you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. That's another reference from the book of Malachi, uh, chapter 4. It's almost the last words of the Old Testament that God is going to send Elijah. And it wasn't that John was a reincarnation of Elijah, but John was the one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, says Luke chapter 1. He's the one who, who brought a Elijah-like ministry and who pointed out the Messiah. Let me say, as Christians, we do need to check our expectations here because John, uh, people had missed what John was pointing forwards to and we can as well because we have these expectations of how God is going to work but you know how God does work in John the Baptist? He sends a locust-eating, wilderness-dwelling, camel-hair-wearing, social outcast, probably got bad breath, probably got dirt under his fingernails, probably doesn't know how to mix with society very well. And this is how God chooses to signal his, the coming of his Messiah into the world. Do you believe that God works like that? Or are our expectations blinding us to how God works? We need to never domesticate God, don't we? We need to never make our Christianity politically correct and palatable. We never need to look for a polite or a tame Christianity and an unoffensive Christianity because the character of the person who loves and serves Christ is far more important than their outward appearance or how they fit in or their social skills or whether they have expensive clothes or whatever else. Jesus is saying you need to recognise the importance of John the Baptist as pointing the way to me, as so significant in God's plans. But second, recognize the significance you have in God's plans, Jesus says to the crowd. Verse 11, uh, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's you, if you're a Christian. That's me. That, that's Anyone in that crowd who would come and see Jesus as God's king sent into the world. That's how you become part of the kingdom. Bow the knee to the king. And Jesus says, John, who's stumbling and who doesn't quite understand what's going on and who's got doubts, that you'll be more significant and more important, greater, even than John, important as he was. So do you recognise if you have become a Christian, or if you do become a Christian, that God doesn't just want your name on the door of his kingdom. He doesn't just want you on the guest list. He wants you at the table with him. 
God wants you to have fellowship with him. I went to a wedding in my early 20s and uh, I knew the, the bride and groom reasonably well, but not very well. And uh, it was appropriate that I wasn't invited to the reception. But when I arrived, the groom came up to me and he said, I've been wanting to talk to you. Um, I want to talk to you after the ceremony. I thought, whoa, what have I, must have worn the wrong suit. Um, and after the ceremony, he came up to me with his new wife and they said, we want you to come to the reception. And so I was brought into their inner circle of friends and importantly, when you're 20, got a free meal as well. <laughs> Jesus says, if you don't miss John's message, you will be one of my people forever in God's kingdom, and nothing can be greater than that. I just want to stop here and just dwell on that. Do, do you recognise the privilege of being part of God's kingdom? We can become very familiar with this as Christians. And I want to say, you're not just, if you do serve, you're not just a volunteer at church. If you come each week, you're not just an attendee of church. You're not just someone who sets up chairs and plays music. That, that's not who you are. Uh, you're something infinitely more wonderful. You are a child of God. You're part of his everlasting kingdom, brought in by Jesus who came to this world for you. You're part of an eternal promised glorious kingdom of God. And you're greater even than the greatest servants that have gone before us, such as John the Baptist. Don't forget that when everything is said and done, when every church service is complete, when, when all of our activities are done, and, and don't forget that uh, even if your capacity is at a low ebb or even if you're really thriving and making great gains for God's kingdom, that whatever the case, you, when you go to be with God, he's going to welcome you in and he's going to say, we've been waiting for you and come into this kingdom that Jesus has prepared for you and let's get you established here because this is your everlasting home in love with me and that's, that's your destiny as a Christian. It's the greatest thing of all. And there are no nobodies in the kingdom of God. There are only Great people. C.S. Lewis has said that if we could see the glorified state of people, we might actually be tempted to bow down and worship them because of how amazing it will be. Not because of our efforts or our merits, but because of what Jesus has brought to us in bringing the kingdom to us. So we need to recognise the Messiah's deeds. We need to recognise the significance of John in God's plans and of you, of us, in God's plans. But finally, we need to recognise that repentance needs to be real. It needs to be real. In spite of the great privilege of all of this, Jesus says there are many people who just won't listen. Have a look at chapter 20 of um, 
sorry, verse, verse 20 of chapter 11. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, you would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Now, people sometimes don't realise the way that Jesus speaks <laughs> and, and that Jesus himself speaks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus lists the towns of Israel that he has spoken in and that he has done his works in and he speaks words of judgment, God's judgment over them because they have ignored him. And he brings out these Gentile cities which you know, have no history of uh, the scriptures and he says, if I'd gone there, they would have listened, they would have repented, they would have humbled themselves and come to me. In today's language, it's like saying, if I'd gone to Afghanistan, you know, they would have listened. But Sydney, with a church on every corner, Bibles on the bookshelf in the local shops and on most people's homes, Sydney's missed me. Jesus is saying, you can't be in the presence of this great ministry and of this great moment of the Messiah and just remain indifferent, and just go back to your normal life. It's not possible. And if you want to do that, it only shows that you haven't understood who he is. Because he does change everything. There's a journalist named Ben Sixsmith who recently wrote in the Spectator magazine about celebrity Christians and uh, fashionable Christianity. He wrote this, I'm not religious, so it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and shouldn't believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their beliefs should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. Jesus calls for true repentance because he has come as God's king. Move away from the old life lived for yourself. Do a 180 degree turn, that's what repentance is, and come and bow the knee to him and live for him. This is one of the reasons I love hanging out with people like we've heard about in our mission update this morning. Because People who've gone away from Australia to share the gospel in another place, they wake up every day and think, I'm in another country and I can't speak the language. I'm trying to share a message that people are resistant to or don't understand. And I'm trying to pray and I'm trying to battle to do all this work and it's hard and it's costly and it's bad for my finances. And they think, why am I doing this? Oh, that's right. It's because Jesus came. 
And I love hanging out with people like that because it reminds me of what repentance actually looks like, that it is our whole life. And that's not just for the missionaries. That's for all of us here in Sydney as well. We heard the illustration of packing uh, your boot for holidays. I just went on two weeks of holiday and what you do, you put in the big suitcases then you put in the smaller bags around them. I put in the kids' toys, I put in the kids' scooters, the helmets. And then at the end, I put the doona in, stuffing it round all the gaps and I put the pillows in and squished them in and... Often we see Jesus like that, as like the doona, that you can just squeeze around everything else that already is there in your life. But Jesus says, no, this is, this is God's big moment with the world and that's what I've come to do. That's what my deeds show. That's what John pointed forward to, that the day has come. The kingdom of God is now open to people from all nations. And we can't just squeeze him in around everything else in our life. No, no, Jesus is the first thing to go in. And everything else comes around him. That's what repentance is. And Jesus would say that if we won't turn ourselves over to him and if we won't recognise him, that all that awaits for us in the end is God's judgment because we have refused the one who saves us from hell, which leaves us headed for hell. Jesus' coming is so momentous. It blows everything else out of the water. It's like the old song says, Love so amazing. So divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. This morning, Father, we thank you for the reminder of who Jesus is. We thank you that he came, that he was obvious in his deeds, that John pointed the way to him. And Father, we thank you that we have read the witnesses who saw him in your scriptures, that we have known who he is and what he's done. And so, Father, help our lives to be oriented around him. And so this morning, uh, I also pray for anyone here who's thinking these things through, Father, who's uh, perhaps not sure what they think of Jesus. I pray that you might work in uh, in that person or those people's lives and hearts and minds to reveal what Jesus, uh, who he is and what he has come to do. And I pray this in his name.